Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Merlin, man. Hmm. Mm. I still like yours better. I haven't heard that in a while. Bomp, bomp. Oh. Well, I'm <laughs> with John Roderick, mm. and he's on the line. <laughs> That's pretty good, although I'm not sure like what the shit splat sounds. <laughs> <laughs> baby, about. baby, where did my with, John go? John Roderick and well, you know, what people love is is uh, new wave parodies with fart jokes. Mm. I think we got Josh recently signed them. I'm going to stop saying that now. Oh my god! I, you know, it's a, Josh sends nobody, us. It's one of those jokes that nobody gets but us. And once we're dead, there will be no one left. To I can think of at least one, and possibly two, of our supposed listeners who <laughs> I think will get. They may not think it's funny, but I think oh. they'll get it. You're right. You're right. I can think of at least one who will get it and think it's funny. I used to laugh at his band name. I know. That's I've a. Been... That's a. It's not a. It's not a Monty Python joke. It's uh. The, who's the other guy? Who's the music guy from the Ruddles? What's his name? You know who I mean? Neil Innes. Neil Innes. It's a Neil Innes band joke, right? Neil Innes band joke. <sighs> <laughs> Boy, that is deep catalog. Oh, oh, you know what's better? You know what's... A lot of people think... A lot of people... You know, let's be honest. A lot of people A lot think, of people don't think, though. Mm, you know what? I'm going to circle back to that. A lot of people think a Monty Python joke is pretty nerdy. But I think yeah. a Neil Innes joke is sublime. It's very it's very deep. Did it's you like very, the Ruddles? Did you ever see that Ruddles movie? You know, here was the thing with the Ruddles. Mm. I, I, I don't know about you, but in the, in the late 70s, I got a lot of my early music... From the the one dollar LP rack mm-hmm. cutouts at, at the drugstore, and uh, you know my mom would go to the drugstore because she needed to buy some uh, some like uh, rubbing alcohol and some band aids, <laughs> and uh, you know the drugstore was always a thing as a kid where. I mean, even now as an adult, I walk into the drugstore and I'm like, "What are all these aisles? What what are all these things? Are they splints?" Are people buying like, like face masks and stuff here? What? what why does the drugstore need so many aisles? I know you go to the drugstore all the time. Maybe you can help me with twice this. a day. But so I would go to the drugstore, and there was a big selection of of dollar LPs, and that's where I got Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa's orchestral record, as recorded <laughs> by the London Philharmonic, and that's where I got uh, Neil Young and Crazy Horse's Reactor, a record I still listen to. And, that, uh, that set that set quite comfortably next to the Gene Simmons solo record for about forty two years. That's right, ninety nine cents. You were, you were never in your life, never more than a quarter mile away from a cutout copy of Reactor. Yeah, Reactor still out there. Uh, that's where I got Terrapin Station by the Grateful Dead. Uh, I think Machine Head by Deep Purple I found one time in the ninety nine cent rack. Yeah. So while all of my friends were buying Foreigner Four. And uh, Billy uh, Billy Squire's "Emotions in Motion." I was <laughs> I was listening to uh, Machine Head and and Reactor, and wondering why I was out of step with my peers. But one of the records that I bought at the on the ninety nine cent rack at the at the uh, Bartels Drugs was the Ruddles album, which I thought from the you know a lot of these things I just bought because of, of the cover. I'd walk in and go, that looks so good. You know? Well, it's not like you walk in there with a copy of Trouser Press. Like no, you're you're gonna no. you're gonna take some chances, and it's only a buck. It's not eight sixty nine. You know. Exactly. So I bought uh, so I bought the Ruddles record, 
and I mean, I was at the at the beginning of of what became a lifetime Beatles obsession, and 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 but I, you know what it was? I discovered the Ruddles before I discovered Monty Python. Ooh, wow, that's weird. And I know. So the Ruddles were the Ruddles were the gateway to Monty Python rather than the other way around, and so I, I definitely struggled at first to understand. Every, all the nuances. And was it before you were really into the Beatles? I was getting into the Beatles. So a lot of it must have seemed a little nuanced. It was. Well, you know, because until I was 10 years old, my understanding of music was that Count, that Count Basie was a contemporary artist. <laughs> uh, a version the, of April. I can't do your dad. <laughs> April in Paris. The only pop records that we had were eight-track tapes, uh-huh. and they were uh, Jackson 5's greatest hits. Oh, so good. And uh, Studio 54, uh, the disco compilation. And um, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water and the Beatles' Revolver. Those were the four pop eight-track tapes we had. Uh, So uh, uh, until I was 10, like that was the only exposure I had to music that was not being played on a clarinet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's brutal. Did you feel relieved? Well, I had all that stuff memorized. Clarinets, clarinets in excess can be rough. Tell you what, but it was it was when I was in fifth or sixth grade and started to meet those kids that that um, that that feathered their hair with a mm-hmm. with a giant plastic comb that they carried in their back pocket mm-hmm. that stuck like six inches up above their pants. Uh, when I started to meet those kids that were a little bit rougher, and they turned me on to the the radio. Basically, they said, "You don't listen to the radio." You know, there was, that was the heyday of album-oriented rock. Mm-hmm. And so they said, you know, you need to listen to what, what was at the time in Anchorage 102.5, the, the uh, rock station. And the, the first, this kid was over at my house, and he's like, I had my, I had my radio. I did, I did have a clock radio, but it was set to the station. I think maybe my mom found a, a radio station when she put the, the clock in my room, and it was just always on there. I didn't, I guess I didn't. I was not one of those kids that looked at a radio and thought, turn the knobs. I was a kid that looked at the radio and went, hmm, knobs. And you you just listened to whatever came on? Well, so she she tuned it to the radio station that played, uh, like, Seals and Crofts. (laughs) And uh, that was that that era of, of like, what, Asia? Maybe a little bit pre-Asia. But what was that? What, what, how would you describe that music? Like You're talking about like yacht rock, sort of like super soft rock, yeah. Diamond Girl or Christopher Cross. Christopher Cross. There was exactly. a period where there was a lot of very gentle um, music. So going on. gentle, so gentle. It was like it was like petting a rabbit's vagina. <laughs> you, Man, you, you could, now that you've mentioned it, that sounds really oddly appealing. You know what I mean? Like, I would find that soft, so comforting. Rabbit, and you're just like pet. It's good for the rabbit too. That the rabbit's happy, you're happy. Yeah. And then this friend came over. He 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 was wearing his baseball hat on backwards before that was even a thing, and he had a giant comb in his back pocket and feathered hair and a puka shell necklace. And he was like, "Why are you listening to this crap?" And he tuned. He just went zip zip zip. Tune the radio, and the first tune that came on, "I Am the Walrus." Oh man, on the radio. On the radio, and I was like, "What is this insane music?" And he said, are you kidding me? It's the Beatles. I thought that, and, first time I heard that, I thought it was so scary. It was t- totally terrifying, particularly since I thought I understood the Beatles. I'd been listening to Revolver. I got 
I was one of you know it was one of my favorite records right up there with you know Count Basie's Jumping at the Woodside, and uh, and this this music comes on this insane music, and I just stared at the radio like uncomprehending and 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 completely it just transformed me in an in a moment you know just as it just as it would have done to somebody 10 years earlier in 1968 i this was 1978 and i was like mind blown instantly blown so did it make you did it make you curious for more well yeah then i immediately went and uh, you could you could talk about you're talking about the blue album you could get the blue album and the red album <laughs> Uh, also at the drugstore, th- those were five ninety nine. Those were not one dollar records. That was that was a pricier, but there was a double album, and uh, I bought them immediately. And then um, that was basically all I listened to until you know my first my first two Beatles album. albums. Which you know I, I knew there was a, my cousins were were uh, five and ten years older than me, mm-hmm. and so they're really into the Beatles and into did they yes. Ever, did they ever touch you inappropriately? Not not to my mind. I was, it was all appropriate as far as I was concerned. Oh, I see. Good, good. I'm, you know uh, so that's how it is in your family. <laughs> so that's how it is in there. That was a Ferris Bueller? Uh, it's a little Ferris Bueller reference for some of the, for some of the young people. Do you out remember there. her knees? Who? Uh, the female lead. The girl that looked Sloan like Susanna Hoff? Yes. You remember her Hoff's? knees? She had well, really cute knees. I have to say that. I, we may have discussed Susanna Hoffs earlier in the uh, in an episode. We tried to be gentlemen about it, but I felt I, I always felt like uh, like Sloane. Uh, she just wasn't my type. She was too skinny. Oh my god, she, she was, was my, she was my type because she was unattainable. She's very cute. I have to admit, she's A in my she's like, in my uh, Diane Court pile. A little sure. bit like the the girl from the Wonder Years. Oh, uh, Winnie. Winnie. Uh, you know, she has math uh, things now. She teaches kids math. Sexy, she sexy math. math. She, she does math things? Yeah, try Googling Winnie Sexy Math. <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> uh, not only am I going to try Googling it, I'm going to put it in my in my menu bar. I'm going to put it in my special place. My my, my cousins have been real into the Beatles. Yeah. They had, you remember, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but... Um, Were they Floridians? No. They're Ohioans. Oh, no, right, no right. one in Florida listens to the Beatles. Right, right, right. Uh, but it used to be uh, back in the day. So, so my cousin, my eldest cousin, who's ten years older than me, uh, had an original copy of the White Album with the serial number and everything. And he had the four. Fo- he came up with the four photographs of them, those oh, iconic yeah. photographs on his door. So you know, I've been around the White Where Album. Paul looks like a milk cow. <laughs> well, I think that's maybe one of the classic John Lennon pictures. I mean, he, he John Lennon looks so John Lennon in that. It picture. is, but you know, I, I I hate that look on John. Oh, you don't like it when he's got the long hair? I'm a Sergeant Pepper John guy. Everything from everything from Rubber Soul to Sergeant Pepper, I think he looks amazing. Hmm. And then he started growing his hair long, and he just looks like a. Big well, you look dunk. at those photographs when they're recording Rubber Soul and especially Revolver, and Paul had the glasses. Oh, Nobody so- has man. They are they are up there. They're like Chet Baker, Buddy Holly. Like they're up there in the wow. You guys look so cool, and you, you have no idea. So you have cool. No idea how cool you look. Well, and this was the thing about the fifties and the sixties. Okay, come like, back to my records when we're done. Yes, you can. Please go ahead. I, it's very unusual that you are the one who wants to return to a story. There are, there's, there's a story you know, I've tried to tell three times, and you know we're what? finally going to get it out today. One I'm going to get another. a three-by-five card here. I'm going to write it down. Mer- we're going to circle back to that. And if it's, if it's bad, I can, I'll cut it out. <laughs> in any case. Any, in any case. <laughs> in the 50s and 60s, they changed 
car designs every year they changed the 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 fashion the like men's and women's clothing fashion even designers had a slide rule in their pocket every year they and for a period of 20 years every year they they designed a brand new car and brand new clothes and brand new everything for for the for for a year and so that, that's some of the best design in, in history, some of the best American des- industrial design, every one of those years. Now, you know, the Chrysler Sebring has been in production since 1989, and all they do is change the air freshener and the, <laughs> the you know, like, right. they don't even change the, the, the you font. Take, you take the- cars from 52, 56, and 59, and I'll bet you could eyeball Within like a year, like what year that came out? What oh, about absolutely. you take ni- 92, 96, and 99? Forget it. No, I mean, they all look like Tylenol. When, when, in 1985, if you had a 15-year-old car from 1970... Right. Now think about that. If you had an, compared- like, say, like, say, say you had an LTD. It was really hard to tell, or a Continental. It was hard to tell how old that was. Because, I mean, Buicks and Olds... All those kinds of cars, like my mom had an early 80s car that looked pretty much like a smaller version of a car from 1973. Well, yeah, that started, ha- that started happening you know, in the mid-70s. But I mean, a, a guy like me, I can tell you the model year of every American car from 85 to 1920. Can you do a 64 versus 65 Mustang? Absolutely. I can see it from across the street. Contrast the grill. Because the little, the, it's hexagon, the little details. You get the hexagon versus the rectangular grill. I had a friend with a 60, 64 and a half Mustang with pony interior. I sat and argued the with the horses Dan- run across the seat, John. Oh, that's very nice. I argue, argued with a Danish guy one time about the headlight surrounds on a 65 Cadillac uh, Seville versus a 66 Cadillac. Can I guess that this was a man? It was. A, a Dane. A Dane. It's very similar to when you when you when you start a story by saying I was at the model train store. <laughs> you don't have to specify that you were talking to a man. I was at the dungeon dice warehouse. I, I, was at, I was at the model train store and just talking to somebody. Oh, was it a guy? I was at yeah. a, I was at a Steely Dan meetup. <laughs> but anyway, yes, there's uh, gas in the car. It's it's 2012 right now. Could you? I mean, legitimately. If you saw a car from 1997, would you be able to even place it within 10 years of when it was built? No, and I think it started, I think there's always a five-year what-the-fuck period around most cars. And I remember this starting, do you remember when the fucked-up Thunderbirds came out about 83, 84, 85? And seriously, it was like an Advil. Interesting that you call them the fucked-up Thunderbirds because... hated them. There were so many people who thought that was... I mean, the Thunderbird was the first first pregnant porpoise. Mm Mm-hmm. It was the it was the moment when the cars in America went from being a shoebox on top of a shoebox to being right. uh, like a like a beluga whale humping a the, the, uh, the American a, cars and then, and then the the the, uh, the Nissans and the Toyotas started the back. I mean, there's one car in and our they neighborhood. Got square. Right. Yeah, it looked like an ATM machine or, yeah. or a night deposit yeah, or, it, or, or, a, or a doorstop, something you would kick. Precisely, a Japanese door. doorstop. Uh, you had to get ping pong. I had to go ping pong for just a minute. It's a big surprise. They're very surprising but then, but, people. But then think about the think about the way the the music and the culture changed between 1960 and 1970, and and think about how the music and culture has not changed between 2002 and 2012. No, it's 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 staggering. I mean, this is such a cliche, but it still goes through my head all the time. If you take the whatever major label period of the Beatles, mm-hmm. it's 1963 to mm-hmm. 1970, which is like. 2005 till now 
Right. Which is basically the amount of time it's been since I last recorded an album. It was a good record. My entire... The, the entire Beatles career could be fit into the time between the last... From, from Please Please Me to Let It Be. Well, technically, to Abbey Road's technically later, right? It was, it was, it was, didn't they record Let It Be first? They did, but, you know, it's all, they were done by... I think it's seven. non-canonical. I don't count Let It Be. Um, you don't count Let It Be. Put it on a card. Put a bird I, on I, it. I heard, I was driving on the, on the road the other day listening to the radio. Really? And did you lose a bet? I thought you didn't do that. No, no, no. I, I'll do it sometimes. Okay. And a tune from Let It Be Naked came. Oh, so much better. Well, better except except it's basically Star Wars without the at, soundtrack. Star, it's 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 basically hand shooting second. Let Hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Now, you know, can we, can we save this? This is a big show. You know what? We're going to do the Paul McCartney show. I will give you one track right. from that record that okay. is surprisingly, astoundingly better. I, you know the song. I bet there's one song on there that nobody in the band was madder about than, especially Paul, than one particular song because it's so fucking over the top. But if you go back, you know, that's not Long and Winding Road. Which... I love the Phil Spector. I love the Phil Spector. It's com- now, if you go back and listen to the original, um, it's like listening to Paul play Yesterday or something. If I'd heard that one first, sure. I would go, oh my God. Like You think about Yesterday and the fact that it's so unadorned yeah. is, is so perfect. But you know, now when I go back, I'm, in my head I'm going, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Absolutely. You're like, <laughs> I'm adding strings in my head. I've got Carol Kay on bass. Like, to, to not have that in there is like, yeah, okay, play me your fucking demos. Yeah, okay. I, but to your point, okay, so uh, there was a thing. I think it came on, the, um, I think it came with the uh, the stupid 90s, whatever, when they put out the, oh, here's everything else we had that you stopped yeah. pirating by this. But there was like a little, maybe it was maybe it was on the PBS thing, but there were these little featurettes. They were kind of annoying, but there were little like motion graphic featurettes for each, each record. They were like 10 minutes long. And I could watch the one for Revolver over and over just because Paul looks so fucking cool. And just because – you've never heard the alter- – I think I, I sent you this. You heard the uh, two alternate takes. Well, there's one – an alternate take of Anya Burke can sing with and without background vocals. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard it? Yeah, you sent it to me. It's really different. But yeah. you can hear there's one take when they're trying to add harmonies to it, and they're so high. And all they do, they cackle with laughter. John and Paul cackle with laughter through the entire take, completely freely. And I swear to God, I get sad. I get happy and sad every time I listen to it. Because I get happy because it's so awesome to hear these guys having fun. And it's so sad because you realize there were maybe three more times that they were in a room together and didn't want to fucking kill each other. John was so unhappy. Yeah. But to hear them high and laughing recording one of my all-time favorite songs, I just think that song's astounding. It's great. And I, I frankly, I have a videotape of me in 19, who, what would it be? 1989, uh, trapped in a bathroom at my drug dealer's house with another friend and his cockatiel. <laughs> Did it try to make out with you? No, no, this was a different, different you bird were, Let entirely. me understand. <clears throat> you were, it's 1989 and yeah. you're trapped in a bathroom with a cockatiel? Well, not strapped, but so trapped, uh, trapped, trapped. Is in trapped, the door yeah, you can't get out. You and the, the birds just as stuck as you are. Oh, it wasn't that. It wasn't that I was trapped, but that. But rather that I had trapped the bird in the bathroom. We were 
we were we were there <laughs> at, at drug dealer's house, and he was he was it was one of those it was like right after the harvest, and the whole every flat surface in the house was covered with marijuana. They were sorting it and clipping it and drying it and doing it all the stuff that you do when you have a big harvest of marijuana. And we were there, and we were so incredibly stoned that at a certain point, and of course he's a drug dealer, right? So he has birds. Yeah, and you gotta have a weird pet. With drug dealers, you turtles. gotta have a snake or yeah. a potbelly pig or a, a, a tarantula or something like that. And he had a cockatiel, and the bird was just flying freely through the house. <laughs> I call him Bob Gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> he was a great bird, but at a certain point, I'm very stoned, and I start trying to. I, I want to get the bird, and so I'm I'm walking around the house, and the bird's kind of staying away from me, like hopping from the lamp to the table, and I'm like, I gotta get the bird. Is he clipped? Well, no. So so at a certain point, I'm like, I'm gonna get this bird, and the bird figures out that it's not gonna be enough to just go from lamp to lamp, and he starts to fly. And then he's flying around this apartment, and I'm running after him, like falling over the the couches. And my friend joins the chase, and the bird goes in the bathroom and 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 perches on the shower curtain rod. And I go in there, and my friend goes in there. My friend has his video camera on, and and I shut the door because I'm trying to keep the bird. I want to get the bird, not not to do anything bad to it. I just want to pet the bird. I just want to I just want to see the bird. And we're in the bathroom, and the bird is like, oh, shit. I did the wrong thing coming in here. Now I'm trapped in this bathroom. And I'm trying to get it, and he starts he starts flying around this bathroom, which is, you know, eight by eight. And I'm falling into the tub, and I grab the shower curtain and pull the rod and the curtain down on top of myself. And the shower goes on, and the bird is flying in circles, squawking, and we're all we, – none of us can breathe – me, the friend, or the bird, because we're all so high. It's the funniest thing that ever happened. And the fact that I have that videotape, not a thing I would ever show to anyone in the world. I can't even believe I'm describing it. But I never have to smoke pot again. Because I have that moment recorded. That is as high as you ever need to be. And... If I want, if I ever feel like I need to get high or feel like I want to feel what it's like to be high, I'll just watch that. Did you? Oh, that's right. Did you? Did <laughs> that's you right. Am, am I to infer here that you serenaded the bird with a Paul McCartney song? Uh, no, I think at that point it was we, everyone. You, you, but you didn't do Anya Burke and sing to the bird. No, everyone at that party was on a strict Led Zeppelin diet at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bird included. So no, I think it, I think the Battle of Evermore was probably playing really loud. <laughs> And uh, eventually, the door. Somebody opened the door, and the bird got out, and I was in the bathtub covered with shower curtain and water. <laughs> and thought it was the greatest, the greatest moment of my life. It might have been. It might have been. <laughs> I, I I might have peaked right then, and the rest has just been a, uh, an arduous slog. A long slog in a brown Advil. A long and winding slog. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what I want to talk about right now is mm-hmm. your cousin's. It's okay. Talking about the Beatles. I was just all I was gonna say was and now it's 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 less impactful as we used to say. Oh, but um well no, I, I uh you know whenever I would go to the mall, uh like my mom when I would go to the mall, because I didn't have a car or anything, 
Right. And so that's what go you to do. the mall. Yeah, as you do. I was, but I was 13, 14, 15, 16. You go to the mall. Oh, wait a minute. 16. 17, huh? 18, 20, Ooh, 35. Still going to the mall with your mom. Yeah, we, like to, get, we like to get Chick fil A together. Would she, uh, would she buy you some kettle corn? <laughs> they didn't have kettle corn then. Uh, would, she buy, would she buy you a. Orange a, Julius. Uh, Try Orange Julius. Like a feather roach clip earring? No, I'd say to my mom, can I borrow $5? Of course, I would never pay it back. Can I borrow you? Because whenever you take money from your parents, you always ask if you can borrow it. Right. You're no, just no one's, ever, no one's ever paid their parents back anything ever. I, I, I once asked my dad if I could borrow some money to buy a van. <laughs> it was like, he said, borrow. And I was like, yeah, borrow. You've never you, borrowed anything. <laughs> I was like, you're going to make me say it? Let me borrow it. It's like, Can borrow. I just, I, I only want is a van and a little bit of dignity. <laughs> yeah. You're going to make me say, give me the money? No, I'm borrowing it. I'm going to take it out of your allowance. <laughs> but but yeah, I would we would go to and you know and and I think we've talked about this at length. But you know when when you don't have a lot of dough and you're buying records, you don't have that many chances. You do a lot of research and and, yeah. and stuff. But like Some I would go to do. other people just go to the drugstore and buy them. Well, I'm getting to that. Well, yeah. so we would, I would go to Record Bar and Camelot because those are the two stores, and I flip 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 through all the albums. But let me tell you where I bought with. Three dollars less than it usually cost, as you say, uh, my first two Beatles albums. Because uh, I was familiar with the White Album, and so I, and, until like probably college, I still referred to it as the Red Album and the, and the Blue Album. Sure. Which then- for those for those of you who don't know, shame on you. But uh, it was the Beatles' greatest hits up to about Paperback Writer. It was a double yeah. album yeah. of right up to like the break, like right. Paperback Writers when everything changed. And I, well, I, mean, I guess some people would say. Um, uh, oh shit! What's the one with the great Ringo drum beat? The single. Um, oh, for, uh, tomorrow never knows. No, no, the one the, the big single where uh, you know it doesn't matter. But anyhow, uh, the, uh, forever. Mm, uh, the best Ringo beat ever, I think, might be Rain. Hmm, interesting. It's really colorful. No, what? you know the song I mean. Um, the that's a John song from when he was still writing good songs. Are we talking about the Beatles on this? No. podcast is that what we're doing anyway my, my mom and i went to albertson's and that's where i used to buy all my albums the end my god i'm glad i don't date you <laughs> just on so many levels there's the shirts there's the birds yeah, yeah. there's the bells there's the candles that's one yeah. of my favorite kim novak uh, movies yeah, the bells and the candles <laughs> there's a lot of bell, reasons bell to book and candle date. all the things you treasure <laughs> there are a lot of reasons that everyone who Used to date me and doesn't now is glad yeah. that they don't date me now. But there's a little there's a little taste of melancholy. I think it's uh, I think of that Herb Alpert. 1978. I come home from school. There is an innocuous looking, thick album shaped box on my doorstep. You're 16 at this point. <laughs> I was 11, and uh, I, I picked up picked it up and went inside. Yeah, uh, it's album shaped. Walk walk my dog and. Uh, it was from RCA. Wait, wait, wait. You left the box unopened and walked your dog? I came inside, so to speak, and I walked my dog, whatever. The point being, there's a box. I open this up. It's It got sent to the wrong person. And <gasps> as you do, you open up other people's stuff, right? Oh, I don't do that. And it was somebody's, like, six for a penny box of RCA joining up records. And this is a vi- this became a very important day for me. Well, I've tried it, to explain was, this day to you for many many years now. It was but Blondie and 1978. Oh, 78. So what would it have been? It best of been- the Beach Boys, Frampton Comes Alive, Kiss Destroyer, and Rock and Roll Over, The Monkey's Greatest Hits, and The Best of Dolly Parton. 
<laughs> Whoa! Oh my God, that explains. This everything. is from a guy. This is at this point. I owned the Star Wars soundtrack, right? The story of Star Wars, right? And right. the entire. Now, my my mother and father had been, were veterans of the RCA Music Club, so we also had five thousand eight tracks of Montavani and Percy Faith. Uh huh. Because okay. they had checked Good. off the easy listening box. Sure. Roger Whitaker, any of that? Did you get a a- ship wise, <laughs> ready in the harbor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a good whistler. Did you know he started out as a whistler? Like Slim Whitman, he was Slim, Slim yodeled and uh, whistled, and I believe he whistled, and uh, Roger Whitaker was primarily a whistler. You know, I'm, I'm actually not a bad whistler. And you are beautiful. Please continue. That was, very, again, very popular in the cross, the Christopher Cross period, the, the reformed America period. Right, right, right. Well, you know, I was listening to some of my dad's old records the other day, and I... I'm really looking forward to the to the vocal style, the male vocal style of coming back, because that that tremulous crooner. You're talking about like really like old like big band singer stuff. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's such an unappealing vocal style. I cannot believe. Well, it, it explains why so much of the big band music was instrumental, because when somebody started to sing. Maybe in the swing era, but in the big band era, there were some really, I mean, it's where Sinatra started, you know? He was with Tommy Dorsey. And uh, there was a lot of, because apparently I'm your father. Anyway. Uh, are you, you're explaining to me where Sinatra got his start? Let me get a fucking three by five card here. Oh, you uh, tell me you know more about Frank Sinatra than me. Write this down. <clears throat> Merlin knows about Frank Sinatra and Tommy Dorsey. In any case. <laughs> So I come in. So here's the thing: like you, you understand that at this point, I don't own a lot of LPs. I, you right. know what I have mostly? Do you remember um, what was it called? Did, did Chef- you have Sesame Street Fever? No, John. This is the 1970s. What the fuck are you talking about? I had I had Show and Tell. I had a Show and Tell. Uh-huh. Do you remember Show and Tell? No. You get it was uh, kind of like a, an audiovisual version of like a Viewmaster. You got this little thing. It had a little screen and a oh, record yeah, player. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you made like a little slideshow, and you learn about I Edmund Hillary or whatever. That sure. Yeah. I don't think I had one. But I think a friend had one. Though. That's what I played my records on. So you have to understand oh. seriously. Like for Christmas of nineteen seventy-seven, I want to say. It was a Star Wars Christmas. You know, I got like I got the soundtrack. So that's the records that I had. Then I came home. Suddenly there were six. Well, discounting, I guess, Dolly Parton. Six it's rock and roll records. records yeah. yeah, I mean, I know you're not a giant Kiss fan, but imagine being 11 and getting suddenly you own two Kiss records. Well, Unheard of. An 11-year-old boy in Florida is absolutely... Ohio, Ohio. Oh, Ohio, right. They don't listen to Kiss in Florida. Uh, <laughs> that, is, that is right in Kiss's wheelhouse. Two, two in particular. I mean, I was kind of scared of Kiss. Even though I had friends that were into Kiss, I still thought they were kind of scary. They but, were kids in Satan's service. You know, it's true. I was in at nights. There are a lot of kids in Satan's service. Oh, that's even better. That's so yeah. much better. Kids <gasps> in Satan's service. Rawr. Uh, but there were two in particular. I mean, I was familiar. Now, now in your case, like you're talking about the clock radio, I used to just listen to AM radio all day long. I mean, I knew every song. But like the, and I'd watch the monkeys, of course. So right. the monkeys greatest hits and the best of the beach boys, which is a really good best of. Right. But those two in particular, like I just, I would just play those. Frampton comes alive. Even then wasn't that into it. Because you know what? It's not that good. It's arguably one of the most overrated records of all time. I think close to, if not the most overrated record. Here's of what all you time. do: go get your copy of Framden Comes Alive and go trade it for a copy of Odyssey and Oracle. Everything you know will what? change. <clears throat> Everything will change. What What people like about Framden Comes Alive is that uh, it, it sounds like the smell of marijuana. Yeah, you know so what? It, the, it I, sounds, what like think, a one, sounds like a one hitter. 
I think people should trade their Frampton Comes Alive for uh, Judas Priest's live album, Unleashed in the East. Is that the one with the long green man, Alishi solo? Yes. Yeah. Now, Unleashed in the East is going to take you, if you are, if, if you are not a Judas Priest fan, or you are like a, uh, you are ambivalent to Judas Priest in any way, if you listen to Unleashed in the East, which is one of those live albums, which is arguably just a bunch of overdubs. Right. Over the sound of kiss inspired a lot of people. People, uh, people screaming in in Japanese. <laughs> if you don't mind, but, if you don't mind this sound for forty six minutes, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like somebody left a steam valve open. It's but this album is is absolutely phenomenal. Grinder. No, because, no, it's earlier it's, than that. It's this is when he still had hair and stuff, right? It's, that's but this is before British Steel, right? Yes, it is, and it's and it's effectively a. Greatest hits of Judas Priest up to 1979 or whenever it came out, and uh, and you know all those albums that Judas Priest did in the early to mid 70s, they were all concept albums. They all had like side two was just one giant song in six movements. Well, if you watch the old videos of him when he had like he was bald but had long hair when he looked like the uh, Rocky Horror guy, mm-hmm. like um, they they were much closer to Prague in a oh, lot of ways. Absolutely, first. absolutely, they were they were like coming coming at it from Queen. Rocky horror very much, uh, but but people didn't but, used but they to know great it, singles. They it wasn't some- until in the new wave of British heavy metal that people understood what heavy metal should really look like. I mean, between like I, I know I know you don't wouldn't count Motorhead in that, but between like to an extent Motorhead, but definitely what like Saxon Iron Maiden. Um, those bands with the spikes, like that's when people figured out what heavy metal should look like. He 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 looked like a, he looked like a, a leathery gay man, is what he looked like. It just happened to fit in with with what metal became. But people used to look more, don't you think? People used to look, what they call them Heshers. They used to just look more like stoners in in heavy metal, unless you were Richie Blackmore or, or Running James Dio. I think that I think that there was a time, and this may be just because we were we were kids then, and so adults. Some adults seemed especially scary anyway, mm-hmm. but but we were alive in a time when the the net amount of male scariness, like the mean scariness of adult men, was much higher than it is now. Oh, astoundingly higher! You know, like it everything, did, you, everything was scarier then. You Every, did not yes. have to, and it's not just because we were kids. Because I remember nope. being a teenager and feeling this way too. That it, that. Adult men were not to be trifled with, and they did not need to advertise that they were scary by wearing clown makeup or by going, ah, or, I mean, <laughs> if just a man in a denim jacket with a cigarette in one hand yeah. and, a, and a wrench in the other hand was an unpredictable and dangerous animal that you, avo- that you if you could avoid, you did avoid. And now, men, like adult men are so defanged. They are not scary, and so you have this car- these these men, and you see them all over, uh, even just among the hipsters, guys who have tried to replace their lack of of uh, like adultness or their the 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 lack of like actual masculine scariness that should be in them and isn't. They 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 mask it with tattoos, or they have. You know, they they try and be weird. Well, de- a lot of them are deliberately dirty, freaky, deliberately dirty. Thank you. They, they, there's something. Dirty. There's something. And like every time I see somebody with a really old Timbuktu bag 
and a bunch of tattoos and a mustache on a fixie looking all mad with like a with like a leather cuff on their mm-hmm. wrist. I'm mm-hmm. like, you understand you live in a city where it costs a hundred thousand dollars a year to live here. Yeah. Like well, I oh, no, I understand you live with your friends and you make fifty thousand dollars a year. But it's like you're not you're not living in fucking West Virginia cooking meth. You live well, in fucking San Francisco, also, dial it down. A, they have a jar of like beard conditioner that they paid forty two dollars <laughs> for that's made out of like beeswax from the Himalayas or something. Hey like. man, Keels hires lesbians, <laughs> asshole. And 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 when 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 I was, you know, certainly that that generation of British heavy metal that that spawned that look that became a cartoon i mean the guys in saxon just looked like they were guys that had that were rebuilding a camaro <laughs> you know like four guys rebuilding a camaro and they were like wiped their hands off on a dirty it rag it was, it, they weren't like costumes they weren't costumes they were just i mean like you look at acdc certainly acdc had their costumes but bon scott no they looked like they'd all been fired from a garage yeah bon scott who was five feet tall looked even if he was just wearing jeans and no shirt he looked like the scariest motherfucker you ever saw they and a great ugly, guy so somebody ugly. totally want to party with and hang out with but yeah. also like somebody who i mean i'm six foot three and and uh and a, you know and an eighth <laughs> bon scott looks like somebody who would climb up my pant leg to bite me on the neck you know what i mean like the fact that i am twice as tall as he is would not like stop him for a second like he would climb me in order to in order to like he would he would he would mount me basically and 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 that whole generation of guys like they were just they were harder they were scarier they were creepier Creepier there there and- was there was just a cultural creepiness, and whether I mean, there's the whole kind of key party looking shit. I mean, I've seen some pictures. I, I, you're making me enjoy, not making me. You've led me to Jerry Rafferty, and I'm enjoying it. I haven't seen a picture of Jerry Rafferty yet where he didn't look like a child, child molester. Well, yeah, and Jerry Rafferty was obviously like he enjoyed a drink. He was also drinking himself to <laughs> he death. Enjoyed a drink. But now I told I told you this story. I didn't know when my my dad showed up at a Wobblies meeting. Have I showed? I told you this story. Are, what was are they like wigs? No, the wob the wobblies they were they, they were the original hardcore uh, sort of unionized. <gasps> oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. I, okay, sorry. Yes, so it's a union. Okay, I got it. Yeah, and and he, my dad wobblies. shows up, and they were, you know they, the wobblies were the industrial workers of the world, the IWW. They were the they were they were tough. They were they were they were thugs. Nice you know? logo. This is like dock oh. workers. And my dad, my dad was—he became the lawyer for the for the uh, Longshoremen's Union in Washington in the fifties. But in the thirties, when he was eighteen, he and some buddies went down to the docks, you know, late at night, to go to this Wobblies meeting. And it was seriously the type of thing where I think, uh, like, the parking lot was lit by torchlight. <laughs> You know, and there were there were guys just sitting there, you know, uh, uh, rhythmically slapping a giant pipe wrench into the palm of their hand. And these kids walk up to the door of the uh, my my dad and his friends. They walk up to the door of this warehouse, and inside it's just like you know they're just. <laughs> and there's a guy standing at the door, and he grabs the kids by the shirt, and he goes, "Show me your hands." Oh, to see how rough they are? And, you know, and, and all four of them show the palms of their hands. And he points to the three that are my dad's friends. And he's like, you three have never worked a day in your life. Get the fuck out of here. Whoa. And he looks at my dad and he goes, 
you're all right, kid. And it's because my dad was on the crew team. Oh, he's a rower. His, his hands were covered with calluses from the oars. And, he, and the guy goes, you can come in. And so my dad goes into this meeting by himself. What year is this? 1938. Holy shit. And <clears throat> went into this meeting and, and became sort of a lifelong labor organizer. But, you know, the preppiest of all sports, really, the, the, the crew. Yeah, like a, but, like, but, like a lacrosse callus. But this was an era when a, when a guy would stand at the door and, and your hands would be your passport. That's a that that's is a thing good. that that's a thing that does not exist anymore, or or not in any world I live in. I, I just sent you a photograph that uh, it's a uh, you won't believe the year when you look at it. It's from 1981, but it's from an IWW uh, picket in I guess in Australia, home of Bon Scott. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, these guys either look like they're in the band. Or, or some kind of a of a violent pederasty club. Boy, that's a, you like that look? I, you know, the thing about 1981 is that it was such an in between pivotal time. pivotal time. Like there's there like the the fact that the labor union guys would look like hippies at that point, and yet there's also a guy in a leather blazer. With he looks uh, like Kevin from the Wrens. He, he he really does. Yeah, he looks like a, he looks no, like. No, Kevin is not a pederast to my he knowledge. He looks like a but... newscaster. Um, it's uh, times were really changing in 1980. Didn't need no welfare state. <laughs> no, wait a minute. <laughs> is that your is that your Dale Bozio impersonation? Dale, what's our end grade? Destination unknown. <laughs> your hands would be your passport. That sounds yeah. like a fortune cookie. I like that. Yeah, so somebody tweeted me some weird, uh, some weird uh, fortune the other day in the voice of a soothsayer, like a dwarf soothsayer from the from uh, you know, like Leonardo da Vinci's town, and he said, you know, he said he said the crows are going to visit visit pain upon you or something like that. And I was Whoa, like, this happened on the Tudor. Yeah, I said, that sounds better, like a, that sounds like a curse, John. You better watch out what you say to a you guy. Need to check like, yourself. Well, you know, people are always sending you. <gasps> do you get? Can I ask you a question? We can cut this out if we need to. Do you do you receive a lot of curses to your knowledge? No, but but there, but there is an an, uh, an incantatory <laughs> element to things that people send me. <laughs> uh, an ex- like an existential uh, serving suggestion. Well, it's it, it's more. I, I I don't know what what it is uh, about because I don't typically attract uh, a lot of uh, like people don't want to role play with me. I don't think, but there are some like Scandinavian <laughs> black metal people that just want to check stuff out, run stuff by me. I, I'm not sure what it is, but I do, I do get a lot of like weird spells. And Which stuff. organ would you put this knife into? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know why that <laughs> big is. longtime fan, John. Quick question: If you would kill the singer for your band, which bone would you gnaw on first? I think it's because I'm a recognized expert on the 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 duchy of Lithuania. I get a lot of I get a lot of Central European. Where do people like, learn about that? L- uh, Lithuania. Well, you know, okay. I'm just saying. For example, just for what it's worth, I, I've it's something I've been thinking about for a while. There yeah. are lists of people who want to be on 
talk shows. There are, you can sign up to be on a list of people, and you can say what you're fucked up about, and then some Jerry Springer-esque show will have you on to throw a chair. You can register for this. You can see people that have done it more than once. It seems to me that given the kinds of information you have and the ways that you can help people, it might be useful for you to have some kind of a registry. I'm, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's a website. I don't know if it's an agency of some kind. But for example, if you wanted to find out what kind of uh, singer bones to eat first and needed some kind of uh, guidance from somebody who was familiar with Lithuania, mm-hmm. I don't know how they find you. I mean, well, this is the problem, uh, and part of the problem is that I am uh, that uh, you know I'm, I'm you're busy. You're a very busy man. I'm busy, and I'm also an expert on everything. So how would I register? Do you want? Do you, do you need somebody that knows about it? Uh, ask John. You know, like that's not gonna. That's, yeah, I think a lot of people think of themselves as knowing everything about everything. Well, how, how do you distinguish yourself in that crowded market apart from uh, taking people down a peg one at a time? That's time-consuming, and you're busy, as we, as we stipulated. You know, I think a lot of the people that end up on TV are the specialists. They're the people that know just about the Battle of Gettysburg, or they know just about uh, how aliens built the ancient pyramids. Get a horse. It's very hard to be a polymath anymore, and I think it's, it's just uh, one of those things where you, <laughs> you, you have to have, just enjoy the satisfaction of knowing everything. It's oh, just but that a, must just, be that must be so frustrating for you to have uh, to, to. I mean, first of all, the burden. You say it's not a burden, and I think that's because you're a gentleman. But you walk around with a lot of knowledge that's that's it's sitting there and it's boiling, and that I don't know how you keep the lid on. Well, here's the problem in America, and particularly on the West Coast, nobody wants to know about Lithuania. Nobody wants to know about the have treaty. You, of I mean, I, have you tried? Oh, I try all the time. But you bring it up. You just get glazed eyes. The only people that care about Lithuania are Lithuanians, or and not even the children of Lithuanians want to know about it. Uh, so you just, it's just Lithuanians and then people in Scandinavia who are trying to like reanimate old golems who are living in uh, the attics of decommissioned synagogues. <laughs> those people are can, interested. Can you, can you give me an order of magnitude estimate on how many of those there are? Uh, g- golems in, in the attics of old synagogues? No, no, the people who want to reanimate them. Oh, I see. People in Scandinavia. Just as far as you know. Is it seasonal? I bet it changes when it gets a little warmer. Uh, when it gets a little warmer, it's it's kind of a thing that's that's really actually kind of localized in Finland and Sweden. Like the Norwegians are on a different trip. Well, it's like Christians on on, on Easter and, and Christmas. I mean, yeah. when you have Gollumnacht, everybody gets up and tries to reanimate <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, Gollumnacht! It's such a time. <laughs> bring your bring your ex singers bones. The thing is, a lot of those synagogues in Eastern Europe, you know, they've been converted into rec centers. Or they are, you know, they're video game parlors now, or internet cafes. Well, to all appearances, you don't even know that it's a former synagogue, except for the giant star of David rose window. Uh, so, you know, who knows? It, it, this could be a thing. Actually, this could be one of those like uh, Mayan calendar events. What you mean, your Lithuanian consultancy, or are you talking about the the general holiday of reanimating golems? Uh, golems are golems. I think of a golem as, as being a, a Jewish thing, a D and D thing, and a Jewish thing. It is, but when you're talking about reanimating clay uh, automatons... I think you're thinking of dreidels. I'm not thinking of dreidels. When when you're talking about who is the constituency for people who want to reanimate automatons Mm -hmm. who who come back to to wreak havoc, who wants to do that more than Scandinavian metalheads? It's true. The the Jews aren't into that anymore. No, they're they're all making soup. Yeah, they're somewhere else. And Ozzy certainly Osborne, not in Lithuania. Ozzy Osbourne has not been interested in, in Iron Man for some time now. He doesn't remember a thing. No, it's all these kids. It's all these black metal kids that are serious about black metal. They're not the ones that are wearing like cartoon lipstick, but but the ones that are that are dressing like normal people. Oh, they're passing. 
Mm-hmm. They're passing. In the I've, got a book, I've got a book about black metal and about the whole, that whole scene with, um, Oh, what is the name of that band? They, they're all, you know, nouns like arbit- <laughs> ar- arbitrage. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to start working yeah, on it. It's fake- the genre of, of Scandinavian noun. Metal. I'm going to look, I'm going to start a list of fake Norwegian black metal bands. And the first one is going to be called ar- arbitrage. arbitrage. <laughs> I'm looking at a book on my shelf right now that is the book is just called Gothic and the the title is written in Gothic lettering and I have not looked at this book in many years I'm pulling it off the shelf now let's see I hope it either uh, has smells like clove cigarettes or has an interesting arch it does kind of have a smell of I can pipe. eyeball a Gothic arch that's the only uh that's the only uh, that's the only arch I can eyeball no, really? Well, I, uh, columns, you know, I didn't so take... Many, so many arches. We had, a, we had a class in high school called Humanities, which I'm really kind of sorry I didn't take. It was very tedious, but it's something I could have really used. I can't tell yeah. a Doric column from a Duridi column at this point. A Duridi column? That's a factory records joke, and it wasn't very funny. <laughs> uh, oh, very interesting. This is really a book on the whole Gothic movement. I remember ministry. Remember ministry before they were all like angry. You know, at the point at which ministry became a thing, I had already gone a different road. Yeah, but they were that song. Do you remember when that song was everywhere? I do. It was the it was the very first time. I was in a band with a guy who shaved the sides of his head but left the top grow long. Handsome. And it was it was that, I think, that made me that divorce myself from ministry sort and everything. Of like, sort of like, I'm not saying Trent Reznor, but I'm saying like a young Trent Reznor still figuring it out, that kind sure. of thing. Sure, sure, sure. Before, before it had... Before it had become entrenched. Why can't they see that just like me? It's the, weren't they from Chicago? Vlad the Impaler here in this thing. You know there was, was a real there was a real Vlad. I know there was. I've been I've been to uh, Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> Is it marked in any way? Do they go for the tourist dollars there? Uh, Transylvania. Mm-hmm. I could see them really really saying, "Look, you know, uh, what, I mean, what, what kind of industries do you have in in, in a Transylvania? Now, Transylvania today, I guess it's probably not called that unless it's a, a duchy. What is what is Transylvania part of? Like Romania? Yeah, it's part of Romania. It was traditionally Hungarian. It's part of Romania. <laughs> is this now. part of that fucking World War One bullshit? I'm afraid so. Oh, for, now what about Austria Hungary? What about it? You ever play diplomacy? Is that a game? Mm. Or is that a sex game? You play D and I've played sex diplomacy. <laughs> diplomacy, diplomacy. I don't know if you ever played. Being the person you are, somewhere between yeah. a mili- military historian and a paladin. Mm. Actually, not a paladin. You'd be an anti-paladin, I think. Um, you, um, you know, I only seem like a military historian because that's what we end up talking about. But I, I, I you're a polymath. I, you're a polymath. The thing is, you can't talk like about everything at once. Everything at once. Was that Bengals? Who, who did that? Everywhere at once? Everything it, hits at once. It's Spoon. Oh, uh, okay. I like that uh, advanced cassette song. Yeah. Um, my thinking on this is diplomacy. Okay, yeah. here's the thing. You, I don't know if it's you ever play, like, do you ever play like, Avalon Hill games or stuff is, like that. This is like Risk, right? Oh, no, 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 no. This is, this is well, I mean, it is, but you know, Risk feels like fucking like playing Trouble or Sorry compared to diplomacy. Diplomacy, you have a board, yeah, and the board is... Pre World War One, Europe and Russia, oh. and you—I I don't know if you. The, I think maybe the only element of 
chance in the entire game is which country you are. And I, forgive me, Van Hoot, I will probably get this wrong. But every, <laughs> and then the, the rest, you just, it's a slow slog through history no. where you have no choices? <laughs> you have no idea. You have no idea. No, no, wait, wait, do you hear? Everybody gets, and I'm not going to try to guess the number, but everybody gets a certain number of armies yeah. and where appropriate you get navies. And the only different one is Russia, which I think gets one more navy. You become a country. And here's yeah. what you do. You try to take over Europe. And how do you do this? You go and you talk to everybody from the other countries, not in the presence of other people, and then you write your orders. You oh, write, it's, a, it's a parlor game where you go like – It's not a parlor game. It's a two, very sophisticated military strategy game. Two people go into game. the bathroom and they, they, make a, they make a plan and then the two people go into the kitchen and make a plan type yeah, of thing. Yeah, you, you trap a cockatiel and you, you bring a bong. Yeah. Jesus I, Christ. I do not understand it's what It's a happened. very – have I ever shown you the picture of me in diplomacy club? I was in diplomacy club. Did you know that? This was a thing that they endorsed in school? Well, it's when I was in military school, so it's a picture of me in dress blues in front of a diplomacy uh, send, game. Send this to me now. Yeah, there's no way I can't. I, I, uh, I, I did not grow up playing board games. Yeah, there's, I hate a board game. We just, I'm sorry, this is, I, I don't like to go meta, but we, we talked about board games a lot on You Look Nice today, and I just yeah. I fucking hate board games. I hate board game people. I don't hate them. I despise them, but I don't hate them. I, you know, I feel a love for everyone, especially the people that I want to help. And here's my helping. Stop with the board games. I sat at a table one time watching people play Settlers of Catan, and I, and I found it to be very, uh, very soothing and very much, uh, it was very Set, interesting. I'm sorry, Settlers of Catan. Settlers of Catan, which is one of the, uh, what they call the German board games, which are board games that are, that the Germans popularized. Well, Gammenscheisse. They're, 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 yeah, Gammenscheisse. They are, uh, they're, they're strategy games. And you, you, everybody at the board is given a certain number of natural resources and they, they use and they trade with one another and they use those natural resources to gain territory. Oh, and, so somewhere between like Risk and Sims. And they, you know, and they build, they build little civilizations on the board and stuff. I, I, I went into this situation. I didn't actually play the game, mm-hmm. but I went into the situation of being an observer of the game, uh, you know, somewhat with the feeling like I'm going to sit here for three minutes and this is going to bore me silly and I'm going to leave. Uh, and instead I sat there through a, an entire game and, and, uh, and found it very interesting. Not, uh, it, it still wasn't a thing that I would, that I would do myself, but, but I understood, I started to understand the board gaming culture because it was, it was very relaxing and everybody's got their, everybody's got their little duplicity. They're trying to scope out what other people are doing, but at the same time, it's, it's calm. You know what I like about it? I like, I like that everybody's into it. Mm-hmm. I, I respect things where everybody there is into it because there's not that many things where everybody's into it. Mm. And like, I actually, I have, I have a, a friend and a occasional uh, business person whose sister was one of the co-creators of, I think this is correct, of Magic the Gathering. So they've still got like the original like cards from Magic the Gathering. So she just sells one of those cards every year and. Buys a new, <laughs> buys another uh, yacht, buys another, another helicopter, aircraft house. carrier. No, but he's a really super cool guy, very nerdy, and like, uh, but uh, yeah. So did you look at that photograph? I knew a guy whose job, I swear to you, I've been in his house. I've tried to remember where I met this guy, but I've been to his house, and he has an entire floor of his house that's just full of Legos, hmm. and his job is to sit with little Lego bits and build new Lego cars or lego oh, he's, like, he's like an imagineer he's an imagineer and then he sends these things off and then lego produces them as kits that's his job i don't know where i met this guy some guy I picked up in a bar or he picked me up took me home i don't remember 
I have no idea how this happened. <laughs> you had a Lego hookup, but but I, I but I met this guy and 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 he showed me all of his bins. It was pretty hot. All right, I'm looking at the picture that you sent. Okay, here we go. It's on Flickr, a, a, an old technology. Oh my goodness! Look at you, front and center. Yeah. In your little dress blues uniform, you guys look so amazing. I was a seaman apprentice, maybe a seaman navigator. <laughs> and and you gave everybody uh, the uh, you gave everybody the <laughs> look at the smoke. Yeah, my favorite part is please look at my hands. Yeah, here they're 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 crossed in a very calm adult way. And the guy the guy to your left with the eyebrows yeah. that was oh was it Eric, Eric Bond? He he was my roommate. We were roommates. But you we gave everybody the Animal House where are they now captions. Oh, not me. My friend John Moltz did that because he's a oh, smart ass. But um, yeah. no. But I mean, look at look at look at every person in that picture. I mean, isn't this people that are going to be very dangerous someday? All right. You know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to go dig up a photograph of me in the Civil Air Patrol, same era. <gasps> is, this wearing, your, is this in your flight suit? Wearing my dress blues. Oh, brother. And I may even be standing at attention and saluting the camera. I was on. Uh, I was on the drill team. Not not oh, the one with the girls with thighs. I, I oh, marched. I marched and did moves with a rifle. You were in military school, but if I am not mistaken, these uniforms are Navy auxiliary uniforms. We we're in. The, we we're in the. Uh, oh gosh, like is NJ NJROTC. Right, the Naval Junior ROTC. Mm-hmm. Had straight A's the entire year. So this is. I had. This, I had, this I had, was I had the, ra- I had the Radford Star. I don't know if you could see above my anchor on my uh, above my anchor. I have a star. That's the Radford Star. I had straight oh. A's. The Radford Star. Mm-hmm. The Naval Junior ROTC. The guy to my right, Glenn Luker. That guy look, looking tough. Yeah, he looks he, scary. Look at, all, look at all that. What do you call it? Ham salad? Ham salad, chicken salad, heavenly hash? What do you call it? Chicken hash? Well, no, on the... Uh, you, you, you call it scrambled eggs if it's on a hat. But it, when it's a bunch of ribbons on the front there, it's uh, just called, I don't know. A ribbons. bunch of ribbons. Ribbons, yeah. He was a big a shot. He was the uh, company guide-on, I think it was called. I think he was the flag carrier. You were a very cute kid, Merlin. You no. have a, you have a, you had a very cute underbite. Mm. Had a lot of uh, freckles. There are a lot of kids in this whose ears are bigger than the rest of their face. Yeah, uh, in the back, Glenn Maggio, I yeah. think, is the most distinctive. He's the one who looks a little. He's got like Wally hands. He's got like kind of gentle, touching hands. Oh, he does. Yeah, that's yeah. But look at that board. What do you think of that? I know it looks really simple, but you walk around with paper for like eleven hours trying to undermine your friends. It's a lot like a reality show, except in World War One, pre World War One Europe. This I never is where I developed it. my affection for pre World War One Europe. I never understood it, this type of thing, this this board game playing and so forth, because um, it's, not, uh, it's not a board game. I think, for the most part, uh, I, you know, when school was over, I ran home. So, because <laughs> so, you were being chased? <laughs> no, no, because I was being chased because I, because I. <laughs> Quit with, it! With, These are prescription with, shoes. With, with, my, with my elbows in it, my sides, and my hands splayed outward. Stop it! Stop hitting me! around like a giant gay bird. <laughs> <laughs> no, I ran home because I because my my. If I, was, I were daredevil, you wouldn't do this. I, I was so consumed with the. <laughs> My imaginary life, the life of my imagination, that interacting with other kids around the topic of of World War One or like or who's going to take over Europe would have been so. It was it, it was 
unimaginable to me that that would be more fun than me just sitting alone in my room, staring at the wall, imagining myself taking over Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I should have peed first. I want to hear so much about, first of all, you are, you know, that's a word that we've all learned in the last week, which is fabulous. Uh, How, how true is that kind of? It's so true. (laughs) For real? It's so true. How much did you know, if I could say, for background, where are you now? We're talking about when you're 11, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. And so you had, at this point, even then, so you're steeped, as you said, you were literally, I think you said you were literally steeped in military history. Yeah. So you you already knew your father shot a Japanese zero out of the sky with a 45. Right. And so you were already surrounded with with truly, truly astounding stories. And during that period from fourth grade to 10th grade when when they said in, <laughs> that very brief window from fourth, grade, window to from fourth grade. grade to 10th grade whenever i was assigned a research project i would write a i would write a paper on some aspect of world war one or world war two and in 10th grade i started to write about marxism but from fourth grade to to ninth grade let's say i just i, I I wrote a, I wrote a hundred reports on World War Two and World War One, so I would sit and and I my uh, my understanding of those things was very incomplete still, but I had the I had the sense that Hitler had made a had made a mistake not or had made a mistake invading Russia, that uh, that I d- I did not fully understand like the Russian contribution to the war, but I understood that the Japanese had made a mistake in bombing Pearl Harbor. And I would, I just, you know, I replayed uh, the a mistake. Ba- a mistake beyond that wasn't very nice, but a tactical, like waking the sleeping giant. Well, a little bit. And, and in particularly like the, the, the idea that the idea, the, the Navy, the navies of all these countries in 1938 were still very battleship oriented. You know, the battleship was the, oh, was right. the, the leader of the fleet. It was the flagship of the commander of the fleet. All because the partly because the planes couldn't go as far and supplies had to go somewhere. It wasn't the same kind of air based warfare even then that, that we that, would have yeah, today. That had never that hadn't happened. It was yet. still and a slog in some ways, right? Everybody's everybody's always fighting the last war. Mm-hmm. So before the war, it was like battleship, 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 and there was a growing understanding that aircraft carriers were going to play a bigger role, but. But still, everybody was fixated on the battleships. So they attacked Pearl Harbor, and they destroyed all of our battleships. But it ended up that aircraft carriers were the definitive, certainly in the Pacific, aircraft carriers were the definitive ship. And when we sank four carriers at the Battle of Midway, you know, Japanese carriers, they never recovered from that. So their, their error was thinking that that they could sink our fleet, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and basically put us out of the war in the Pacific, but they didn't get a single carrier at Pearl Harbor. Oh, interesting! They did, they did not sink a single American carrier. Can I ask you a general question? A serious sure. general question. Um, is battleship? Is that a general term? Like, what's a, what's a destroyer? The destroyer is, is a, a kind small, of battleship. It's a small, fast. fast ship yeah a battleship is one is something like the uss iowa that has giant cannons that but is can, it is it closer to like a sea based base of operations for other ships 
I mean, like if you're the command guy, if you're like an admiral and you're going to, I'm not next to an admiral out there, I guess, but I mean, you know sure. what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, like, so can you if give me, an, if you're an admiral, the battleship would be the center of a flotilla, like oper- of but it's an operation. Okay. So maybe I'll shut up for a fucking minute. And will you give me just a super fast, rough, as fast as you like to rough taxonomy of fighting at sea? Cause I don't really understand it. Well, in the old, in the old days, you, you brought your ships up to within range of your guns and the, your enemy's ships would be arrayed opposite you and you would fire fusillades of cannon shells at one another until somebody sank the other guy, you know, like really just get within range of your guns and go. Um, That's the equivalent of like two guys fighting with clubs. It's just who's going to last longer before they go down. Yeah, and two little fleets. I mean, you know, a battleship would never be sitting out there in the open. It would always be surrounded by destroyers and, you know, uh, tenders and pocket battleships and all these other little, you know, every different size of, of ship. But at the time, you had what? You had, you had different sizes of cannon and torpedoes. That was, that was what you had to work with. Oh, and mines. I guess you, you'd lay mines, right? Mm-hmm. That was naval warfare. That was before. But you would mine, you would mine like a harbor. You would, mining mines were mostly defensive, right? No, no, no. You could you could you could mine the English Channel. This, long- this is before submarines were heavily used. You could also use mines just to take out a ship. Mines yeah. were big for submarines eventually, right? But I mean, this was for ships. I thought you mined like a harbor. You absolutely mined a harbor, but you could you could mine anywhere that you didn't think your own ships would go. Mm-hmm. Like mining, I think mining the English Channel would be a bad idea because everybody's using it. So it would be that would be much more of an like mining a Chick Fil A. That that would be much more of an anarchic uh, <laughs> war strategy. Like you know what? Fuck everybody. That's a that's a, gonna... that's a that's a that's a that's a Japanese 1945 kind of move. That's just like <laughs> fuck, fuck it. everybody. We're mining. We're just we're we're, we're gonna pushing. we're gonna lose this shit in style. <laughs> but when you got to the point where ships had first of all cannons that could fire over the horizon, and then of course submarines and airplanes. You know, your strategy and the importance of a fleet really changed. If you if you could station an aircraft carrier somewhere, you, I mean, you, you basically could, if you could, what World War II taught us is if you control the air, you control the whole game. And, uh, and I mean, we still practice this form of aircraft carrier diplomacy. The United States is the is the main practitioner of it. But like because, in World War One, the, the plane thing was, tell me if I'm wrong, but the plane thing was still pretty novel and not nearly as reliable as, as, as it would be Yeah, in World, World War One, airplanes were like, meow, like, the bombers in World War One. seriously, there was a guy who leaned out of the open cockpit and held a bomb. Shall I drop the bomb, Captain? Exactly. Held a bomb at arms like it was like, Thumbs away! Take that, Jerry! <laughs> was it actually like a bowling ball with a fuse? <laughs> you know, there was no... Take that, uh, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> like, Zeppelins were a bigger factor. I love Zeppelins. Uh, in, in World War One, in terms of bombing. Um, but it, in the, you know, by the time World War Two came along, the uh, airplanes... That was the whole war. But then, like, what, like, they came up with the technology to be able to, like, fire, fire, uh, fire your, fire between the propeller. I mean, didn't that, wasn't that, like, a really big deal? The ability yeah. to, like, synchronize that so you didn't shoot your propeller off? Yeah. Well, because before, before they had the, the synchronized guns, they had to mount the, 
either mount the machine guns on top of the other wing of the biplane. Yeah, try so aiming. That, try aiming with that. Yeah, so you're flying with you're flying with one hand and you reach up and grab the trigger of the gun and are like, right. Eh. Well, try this. Try walking out. Try hold, holding two thirty eights at arm's length and try to hit something within a couple shots. Or two thirty eights up above your head. And then <laughs> <laughs> like like you're in like a Robert Rodriguez. Movie. Take that, Jerry's. <laughs> Take that, Jerry's. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cut you off. But the fleet, it's like it's like it is like the infantry in the sense that there's this big massive thing. There's the outline. You got the spies. A lot of this for me comes from Stratego. So forgive me. But but you've got like you know like uh, like Kennedy. Like the boat Kennedy was in was for doing close in attacks. PT, like PT, a PT boat would go like a PT boat would go flying. I think you told me this. You go get in real close and, and sneak in a little attack on yeah, a big well, ship. Yeah, well, but it was a torpedo boat, so it was basically a fast it moving. Shot torpedoes out of that little boat. Yeah, they had they had torpedoes actually on the deck in tubes, and they would zip in. You know, they had really powerful motors. Wow. They were wood boats that would they just get up on steps. That sounds so in. dangerous. It was incredible. They would they would they would weave in between the mines, get into a harbor. And uh, they're flying between these boats at night. Guys are shooting at them in the dark, and they're like unleashing torpedoes at at uh, ships that are like in harbor. It was it was totally ballsy game. The PT boats, but but for, before before World War One certainly, and even up to World War Two, ships. Like, what other way was there to assert your colonial? authority over your far-flung territories than with your navy mm-hmm. you know you if you if you had if 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 you had a, a a colonial governor in goa you took him there on a ship and you maintained your your hegemony over that territory by having a navy and that was so your na- so control of the seas was control of the world and right you would have these naval there's, there's economies of scale also, right? I mean, ships, obviously, you have different ships for different purposes. But, but, but this is what Spain did, right? I mean, that, that ability to control the seas, whether that was with trade. I mean, you need it. The thing is, if you're going to trade with a ship, you've got to have, uh, got to have um, mil- mil- a- defensive ships, right? I mean, you've got to protect those ships. There's got to be a way of making sure that this, this ship full of gold and spices or whatever is not going to just get hijacked by whoever comes along. Exactly. Malacans. In fact, that is that's the the birth of insurance. The entire concept of the insurance industry was born in Italy during the Renaissance, when you had all of these ships, it, the, this Italian, you know, uh, navy that was trading all around the world, and people realized like, I'm invest uh, my my entire fortune is in this one boat full of frankincense. And if it goes down, I'm I'm ruined. But if I pool my money with some other guys who have their ships floating around and we all get together and kind of like decrease our risk by being partners and 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 share the share the concept of shared risk was you know in, basically invented in God, that in, is that is it, it, it is so interesting and so far away from what it means today my god that's unbelievable yeah yeah so it was just a way of of people who now were trading today we just assume that nobody ever gets sick yeah that's can incredible you imagine, can you imagine like i i have i've worked my entire life i've got this bag of gold and i'm going to buy these these this blue painted porcelain in China, and I'm going to try and sell it for a profit here in in Florence. 
and then the ship gets uh, attacked by pirates in the Straits of Malacca. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oops, that was it. Or, you know, I mean, so anyway, and, and the, the fact that the Spanish Armada was, was sunk by that, that freak storm. Is that and, what happened? And Elizabeth's England was preserved. Like, talk about the tides of history. Talk this, about is some the fucking James, this is some James Burke shit. Talk about a turning point. If God did not love England, the Spanish Armada <laughs> would have survived, and we would, this would be a whole different world we're living the in. The fucking English, for so long, they had so many, they had so many things to make them feel that, that they were really lucky. They really did. When they were going, really, they were merely lucky. They stood on the shore, and they watched this armada of Spanish ships approaching they the They could coast. see them coming? See them coming. Shit. And it was the largest armada ever. Mounted England was straight up fucked. And then a freak storm destroyed the armada. How do you account for this, Merlin, if it is not that God loves England? I'm sitting here thinking about it. I'm not a papist. I'm not an Anglican. I'm trying to figure this out. Yeah. Now, you say the Germans. The Germans were, you know, worship berries. Yes, uh, they do. Do you, do you think, in a, do you think in a, a country full of, it's Anglican, right? The Church yeah. of England? Is that what, yeah. you, what do you call it? That's Anglican. Yeah, we call, call it Episcopal. Anglicans? We call it Episcopal because we... I call it uh, Catholic light. We, uh, we, we, we tried to make a little division between us and England at one point. should probably avoid that. But, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I know you're a big believer in the power of prayer. But, that boy, that's, that's unbelievable. It is. That's miraculous. Okay, so my question to you. Yes. December 7th, 1941, where were the carriers? Were they in Seattle? Aha! Aha, the big question. You Aha. bombed the wrong place, asshole. <laughs> they were... Arizona, uh, no, Arizona. <laughs> they were in San Francisco, and they were, you know, they were a raid kind of around, but we, but it was still unclear that carriers were were so important. Let's find out where the carriers were. That's a great, that's a great mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. They weren't in Pearl Harbor. They were at sea. They were everywhere but there. This is going to be a whole another show. And by congratulations to us on keeping the Hitler going. Um, but the uh, so- you know what? Somebody hmm. said to me the other day. They listened to our Hitler episode. and They were like, "You guys never talked about Hitler at all." Oh please! Like, well, Hitler's the Austrian in the room. Come on, Hitler! Hmm. You don't have to. You don't have to talk about Hitler to be talking about Hitler. If you know what I mean. No, no. They say when you stop talking about nuclear war, that's that's when everybody's worried. Hmm. Def, Can I, I don't, I don't want to be a dick about it. Could I also point out uh, two, two, uh, two syllables and stuff? Mm, mm, stuff. It's Hitler-related stuff. Often is Hitler not. Mm, stuff. Right mm, now, I think stuff. There's, there's been some question as to whether stuff has one F or two. Hitler and mm, stuff. Well, two, two questions like I can answer for you right now. First of all, it is apostrophe n. Right. And second of all, there's two Fs in stuff for fear and fluffin, 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 fluffin. Oh yeah, perfect new. <laughs> Oh, you know what? Awesome we, should, we should spell it with those 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 cool S's. Yeah, there's no Hitler and uh, Stuss. <laughs> Hitler and Stuss. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like in Congress, right? We could do we could do ligature or something. Uh, yeah. You know about the whole eight eight thing? You know about all the uh, the eight eight thing? What is the eight eight thing? Infinity uh, infinity? Um that's pretty good. You took it, you Old, turned it. Literally, Old, you took them and turned them. Oldsmobile uh, 88, Delta 88. 88, uh, SS, is it 88? I think it is 88 white supremacy. Mm. You know what? This is going to have to be a whole other show. I don't really follow the whole white supremacist uh, nu- numerological like 
code system hmm. as much as I should. One of the very first things I used my computer for in uh, when I bought, finally bought my own computer in like 1988, uh, I had my first Mac with two floppy disks. And one of the first things I did, I bought this book uh, about like the lunatic. Hold the pale horse. No, no. Is that George R.R.R. George Martin? No, behold the behold the pale horse is uh, like the the crucial conspiracy theory book, the, oh. the, the the one that that has all the documentation that ties the trilateral commission to the the oh uh, you know, I, the, I got the trilateral commission talk around the time I was in diplomacy club. Oh, I had well, a very interesting should. talk about ah uh, yes before I knew about batshit insanity. I had a very interesting talk at my parents' steakhouse. But I think very behold the pale horse, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. Pale uh, horse, pale horse, pale rider. No, pale horse. Mm. Uh, uh, it it um, it ties all of the the masons and everything together, and then makes a very compelling case that in fact all of these groups are working at the behest of our extraterrestrial overlords. Oh, that's tidy. That's, it is very tidy. It's a unified field theory of bananas. That's correct, and it and and I read this book at a time when I was doing a lot of. Um, uh, recreational use of oh that'll that'll, that'll that'll keep your mind real that'll keep your mind real open to new ideas yeah exactly and this I, remember, is, I was I was smoking a lot of uh, I was enjoying a lot I of was, banana peels oh, mm, I opened my mind a lot in 1988 well this was this was Often this was later inhaling. for me and this was when I was making the transition from all of the nice drugs that allow one to play frisbee for several hours without ever wondering what you're doing with your life. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All of those nice, kind drugs that make that make you think that you can talk to dogs. <laughs> and I was I was transitioning. It makes you the kind of thing that makes you capture a cockatiel in a shower. Yeah, yeah exactly. Who doesn't that, love that? That's a great way to feel. You what'd, just you do wanna, to, what'd you do today? I fell down in a shower trying to catch a cockatiel. Yeah, it was I awesome. Just want, I just wanted to. I just wanted to get with the cockatiel. I didn't want to hurt him. No. I just wanted to get with him so that we could have an understanding. But then but things was, subtly changed. I was transitioning from those drugs to uh, bad drugs, drugs that are made by human beings that are uh, full of evil forces. <sighs> You used, to, you used to smoke and then get in a bathtub, and now you're getting stuff that was made in a bathtub that you smoke. That's exactly right. And stuff that once you smoked, it, you did not want to get in a bathtub at all. Oh, you didn't want man. to do anything nice. You didn't want to play Frisbee. You did not think you could talk to dogs. They make you, you real focused dog. and not want to play Frisbee. Dogs are looking at you in a way that, you, that makes you very uncomfortable. And it was during that period that I read uh, Behold a Pale Horse. Oh, that's bad timing. I was, I was obviously, you know, I did not... Even even doing these terrible things, it did not make me into a stupid person who believed that aliens were controlling our government through the through the Masons. But I did at one point lie in bed under a spell, let's say, of of various like uh, powders. I lay in bed and I I said to myself, if because my my apartment was right under the flight pattern for the local airport, I said to myself, <laughs> self. If aliens were transacting daily business with America, would they not disguise their spaceships as 747s? If they disguised them mm -hmm. as something like a bowl of fruit, it would seem pretty weird that the fruit was flying. If you need something to fly and have it not seem weird, you're Thank either you. going to be a bird or a me. football or a plane 
maybe I'm, even maybe even maybe it could be a uh, maybe it could be a passenger plane. It could be a exactly TWA right. or an Eastern. So you're not going to hover your like anti gravity orb over the center of a city if you don't want them to know that you're here. No. You just change your anti gravity orb into the shape of a seven forty seven. And you make it very loud, mm-hmm. and you fly it right over the top of all of the people. If you want to drive through a factory in the middle of the night, you don't go through it in a fucking clown car. You get in a blue van. You drive through it like a gentleman. Nobody That's, even needs to wave you through. You're not in a black Jetta. You are oh, in a blue van. Brother. Likewise, I if wish you, are, you hadn't you are, said that. I really I wish you hadn't told so me that. So I'm lying in bed, and I uh, with you know with various powders on my person, in my person, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this. Is just a little too sensible. What I'm saying right now, and uh, and uh, I had to uh, I had to quiet the growing feeling I was having that maybe people were living in the center of the earth. How would they disguise that? They would, they would pretend that they would pretend that they're trolls or hobbits or some kind of. What, what do you have in Middle Earth, John? Who lives in Middle Earth? Is that where is that where the hobbits live? Well, everybody lives in Middle Earth. Even the humans lived there before uh, the elves went o- across the ocean. <laughs> Podcast number five: <laughs> Elves and stuff. Now, where elves is this? The stuff. Shire? Where is the Shire? Is the Shire inside of the Earth? The what? Shire? Well, I th- aren't you like a Tolkien guy? The Shire is not inside the Earth. No, the Shire is. So the hobbits mer- don't live in Middle Earth. Middle Earth only means that it was in between. The one place and the other place. Oh, it was like Midgard is to Asgard. Okay. Right. So it it wasn't inside the earth. No, the Shire was just, the Shire was really merry old England, let's be honest. Okay, but they have their own sun there, at least theoretically. I think it's the same sun. I think it's like, I think it's the Battlestar Galactica cosmology. It happened a long, long time ago. Oh, you can you can cover up a, a lot of a lot of earth related inconsistencies by putting it someplace else. It happened a long long time ago. For instance, a long long time ago, it was a regular occurrence for God to come down to earth and meddle in people's like what they were eating mm-hmm. and 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 uh, he was like, "Kill your kid." Oh, no way. Yeah. Don't kill your kid. Ha! Oh, kill him. Nope, don't. So he was dressed up like a bush for Moses, yeah. but when he came to Abraham, so to speak, that he was just a voice. Now the ram's in the thicket, or the thistle, thistle, or the thicket. But that was just a voice of God telling him to kill his child. But the thing is that, and that's the guy all, who started three religions. They got three religions based on the guy who thought he should kill his kid because a voice told him. That's right. Well, and the, and the the problem is that this God routinely uh, said uh, confusing things to people. But it was a long time ago, and so it makes perfect sense because it was a long time ago. Old Testament God's kind of a dick. Old Testament God is a supreme asshole. Yeah. He's really terrible. And you know what? New Testament God, also very confusing. He could be, he could be a little uneven. My friend Dave uh, did a very funny um, radio play based on Job. It was yeah. very, very funny. And, but, I mean, the closing line was, um, and so what is the lesson of Job? Uh, life's a bitch, your friends are dicks, and God's a betting man. <laughs> <laughs> Job, I mean, is I, a, Job is a pretty rough, rough slog. If you really is, think it, about it, it really is. It really, that's it's hard. Some, that some people find that such an inspiring thing is very, very troubling to me. And I know that makes me part that, of the problem. Like as uh, on a daily basis, like what am I going to do today? 
What's, gonna, on, what's on my to-do list? I'm going to mm. kill Job's ass. Boy, I could really, you know, using Job as a model, I could, oh boy, I could really go a lot of different directions. But but honestly, the 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 the, the New Testament thing, I mean, a lot of the stuff in the New Testament is very smart. It's, it's, a, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. It's, it, you know... But the Boy, premise. I, I'm almost touching that third rail. I'm, I'm very close. I get very frustrated about the Gospels because I think it's a goddamn shame. Yes. That I'm, it's a goddamn shame. You know Ouch. what? I'm going to have to cut this out again, aren't I? No, no, no we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Lord name vein taking. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, you, you know, it's you don't sh- have to be, uh, you know, Heraclitus to dip into the river. You know what I'm saying? Do hear what you're saying. I always thought Ovid sounded like the description of an egg. Well, it, it, yeah. I'm on the, the Wikipedia page for 88 precepts. Uh, oh, okay. Is, what is it? I think I sent it white to you. White supremacists. Yeah, it's an essay or manifesto. So let's make up our minds, white supremacists. Written by David Lane, who has two first names. Uh, because of Heil Hitler, HH. Eighth letter of the alphabet. Uh, so 8-8, eight, eight, you see lots of 8-8s. Eight, 8-8 eight, eight, eight is totally code among the white supremacists. Now, now, the important thing that you need to know is that I pasted this into the wrong window, and right after my wife had sent me a beautiful thing my daughter made, I sent her uh, a link to a thing about white supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to be careful on Take the internet. Take that, Jerry. <laughs> you have to be careful on the internet what you send people. You're going to send them a little diagram of you making yourself oh, a lady horse. Another another picture of my penis. <laughs> this is awkward. I know. Did you see my well, horse? Particularly you... since I was sticking like pins and needles in it. <laughs> Did you see my horse head? Somebody sent me. No, somebody sent you a horse head. Well, I mean, like, not, in, not, in, the, not in the Mr. Waltz sense. No, 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 no. Um, somebody, uh, a, a friend of, uh, a friend of, uh, oh man, that new tree is freaky. Um, I had friend, this friend as of Bill. mostly, <laughs> you ever met Bill W? Uh, he, he was gone before I came I would around. love to have a drink with that guy sometime. I know. He this, was, well, Dr. Bob too. Those two guys really. Is that a Muppet thing? What is Dr. Bob? Is he a friend yeah. of Bill W? Yeah, Dr. Bob was Bill W's first buddy. Were you friends, you were friends with Bill W on some level, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Did you take it one day at a time? I still do. Oh, that's awesome. I oh, sh- I almost put this on Twitter. God damn it. I got too much communication going on. John, you know what? You are social Robert. networking like out your yin yang. <laughs> I was clouding my tutor. It's so hard for me right now to social network. I really. Oh, yes. This is very nice. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something I had on my Amazon <laughs> wish list. <laughs> now you should see my daughter wear it. My daughter, my daughter who, who runs around naked all the time. Oh. I walked into the room and she goes, ah. And she was a naked four year old was wearing this extreme. I would say for for a forty dollar product that is an extremely realistic horse head. It's amazing, and and I even think when that it sits there on a chair, it scares the shit out of me. If you were willing, even you know, even and this is a very tricky thing because as a father, there's nothing wrong with you making a short film of your naked uh, infant daughter running around with Abs- a horse. How head. do you not? But. When you try and sell that for $10,000 to a Japanese collector, right? now you've crossed the line. Well, they're going to want to sniff the horse because of Japanese laws. Well, what if you sold it wrapped in the horse head? Uh, how old is he? The collector? No, the horse. This horse head. You have to have a meeting of the horse minds. I don't know. There's horse people. I, I, I joke about horses, but look at those nostrils. What do you think of that? I think that's two more entry points than a human has. <laughs> Flank us, spigat, spank us.